Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Good morning, Centerpoint Church. How are we doing this morning? Doing all right? Awesome. Welcome to all those in the house. Welcome to all those online, wherever you're watching from or listening from. We are so glad that you are hanging out with us this morning. Um, my name is Bradley Hamilton. For those who I haven't met or for those who are newer, I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, my beautiful wife, Jamie, is somewhere in the room. She, uh, she said she was going to um, kind of hide the service because I pointed her out last service, and she hates that. So if you see her, make sure you point her out and embarrass her. Um, but we've been married for two and a half years now, and uh, we have a four-month-old little boy. Uh, his name is Brecken. And so just a little bit about me for those who I'm still meeting. And uh, we actually just moved here a year ago from Atlanta. So talking about love, where you live, we love Atlanta. There was so much about it that we love. It will always still feel like home for us. But I got to say, Tampa has a special place in our heart. Uh, we have loved, loved, loved the city. And, and we honestly couldn't love it anymore, even though it's, you know, humid and hot at 7 a.m. in the morning and you find lizards in your bathroom and all of those great Florida things that we're learning, um, but truly we are loving. And as we talk through this Love Where You Live series, I'm excited about it, but I wanted to open with kind of a game to kind of get us all sort of thinking about this idea of what does it look like to love where we live. And what I want to do is I want to give you one word. And by this one word, I promise we're going to feel every emotion possible in the room. With this one word, every emotion from good to bad and everywhere in between will be felt in this room. And that word is simply this. You ready? Neighbors. <laughs> Neighbors. What do you think of when you think of the word neighbors. Now here's what I know is happening. Some of you right now are feeling just emotions of joy. You were thinking of that neighbor that you ended up next to maybe a long time ago. Maybe you're next to right now. And uh, they just became your friend. They became your family. They became your confidant. You ended up raising kids together, whatever that is. And there are others of you, when you think of neighbors, happiness is not the emotion you're feeling. Some of you are just now, again, reliving some anger or some bitterness that I have brought up this morning because there is an ongoing fence issue that you are dealing with, and I have reminded you about it. Some of you, when I said neighbors, you almost instinctively rolled your eyes, but you refrained because you didn't want anyone to see you do that. When we say neighbors, there's all these kinds of different emotions that come up, and here's why. Because you didn't choose your neighbors. You didn't choose your neighbors. You chose where you wanted to live. You chose your apartment, you chose your house, you chose your lot, whatever it is, and then somebody else chose to come next to you. Somebody else maybe who doesn't look like you, somebody else who maybe has different hobbies, somebody else who plays their music too loud, somebody else who talks way too much, somebody else who is so awkward to talk to, somebody else who is weird on Facebook, somebody else who smokes something strange, whatever it is, somebody else that was different than you chose to come move next to you, but you didn't choose your neighbors. And so when we talk about this idea of do you love where you live, some of us would say yes, and some of us would say, eh, I like where I live. 
I'm surviving where I live. I'll be great where I live once they move, then I will love where I live. And what I wanna do this series is, is talk about this. What if your neighbors aren't random? What if it's not an accident that you have been forced into a relationship called neighbor that you didn't choose? And then what if we actually have a role to play in being a neighbor? And what if we could choose and be better at loving the people around us and where we live? Now that sounds all great to say, but it's not just some nice idea that we wanna talk through. It's actually from the words of Jesus. And I wanna share a passage where Jesus specifically talks about the idea of a neighbor. And to give you some context, so Jesus shows up on the scene and right away he really upsets the religious establishment because he claims to be God, the God the Old Testament had talked about, the, the God that was sent as a Messiah to die on our behalf and fix all of humanity and make everyone right once again. And then he shows up, claims to be that guy, wasn't what they thought because he was from an obscure, poor village. And then he begins to heal people and people start to follow him and crowds start to surround Jesus and say, he is who he says he is and here's what he did for me. And so again and again, the religious establishment thought they were dealing with a cult leader, but as he gains more power, they realize we have to do something about this guy because whatever's happening is taking people off course and, and surely he can't be God. And so we have to do something about this. And so what you will see if you look through the life of Jesus and the gospel accounts is again and again, these religious leaders try and trip Jesus up or trick him or make sure that he says something that would show that he's not who he said he is. And so what we're gonna see is in this moment, this is what happens. That these guys approach him and they're trying to trap him in his words and see if they can get something out of him. And here's what happens in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. It says, one of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? So he says, listen, uh, what if there was one thing to boil all of this down to? There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of things we have to do to kind of get right with God. At this time, there were so many commandments and some of them even seem to overlap. And so they say, Jesus, you don't even seem to really follow these commandments. So can, can you explain what's the most important? What thing do we have to do to be right with God? And what he says was completely unexpected. And what he says was completely brand new to their religious system. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He says, what I'm bringing in is brand new to what you've seen before. What I'm bringing in is, is totally different than the religious system you're used to. And when they were looking for some boxes to check and something they can just do to make sure that they're in right standing, he says, actually, it all can be summed up by one. It's no longer about just checking the boxes, but it's about your love for God that all of it can come down to just that. But then he expands it even more. And what he says next was even more controversial, was even more maybe confusing. And here's what he says. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law, all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So now not only is he saying, hey, you're so focused on being right with God, the way you're right with God is your heart. The way you're right with God is your love for him. But then he expands it to say, if you wanna see your love for God, it's also measured in your love for your neighbor. Now how you love God is also how you love the person to your right and to your left. 
And this was completely different than the system that they were used to. Now, for many of us who've been coming to church for a little bit, especially if you've been coming here, because this is one of the cornerstone verses that we go to again and again, but you've probably heard this verse. And it's one of those that we can kind of say and get behind. And honestly, we do a great job of loving our neighbors in some areas. In fact, we, we have this tendency to sort of circumvent this verse and think, well, I'm loving some of my neighbors. I'm loving the neighbors down the street who go to the same parties that I go to and who dress like me. And, and we'll love our neighbors by serving at church and loving our community. And we'll love our neighbors by giving to organizations that are helping our neighbors that we don't even know or haven't met. And listen, hear me. All of those are great ways to love your neighbors. All of those are amazing, so important, and we believe in them heavily here at Centerpoint. But here's what we tend to do. We tend to think because I'm loving my neighbors out there, we forget that our actual neighbors are still our neighbors. And we get so focused on loving all of the, the neighbors that are easy and the neighbors that we choose, but not the neighbors that we didn't choose. The neighbors that we ended up next to. The neighbors that we're forced into relationship with. And it's so easy for us to forget that those are also neighbors. Here's the interesting thing about that verse. When Jesus said neighbor, it was actually a proximity term. In the Greek, it can be literally translated as nearby. He meant literal neighbors. He's saying, hey, Christ follower, as you go out and you live out your space, you are nearby people every single day. And what it looks like to love God and to be right with him is to love all of those that you interact with and are nearby every single day. Here's the radical point that Jesus was making. He's saying that there is purpose to where you've been placed. There is a purpose to where you strategically have been placed. And then think about this. Have you ever thought about the fact that you are the only one that has your unique sphere of influence? You are the only one who's in that classroom. You are the only one who is in your household. You are the only one who is on that team. You are the only one who is in that club. You are the only one who is riding that bus route. You are the only one who is in your neighborhood, in your community, and in your own family. Your space is uniquely yours. And here's the crazy thing. No one else can reach the people that you've been strategically placed next to. There is no one else who has your same circle. God has designed that strategically for you and you can have an impact in the people that you are nearby every single day. And then Jesus would say, here's why he sums all of the commands and all the prophets up to this one verse because his mission for the church would be for everyone who wants to follow after Jesus, everyone who wants to love God, that they would do that by going out to their unique spheres wherever they are placed, whoever they're nearby, and they would love there. And by that, Jesus would change the world by each of us loving our place and seeing our place as a purpose. That is the mission of Jesus. That is the mission of the church. And that is how Jesus wants to push forward his love to those who are in desperate need of it. So I think it was purposeful when he said, love those that are your neighbors, love those you are near by. And so over the next four weeks, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna look at one interaction that Jesus has with a neighbor. And in this interaction, we're going to see that maybe we can better love where we live. So let's set up a little bit of context. I'm going to be in the book of Luke, and it's kind of the middle, just, just to the right of the middle of your Bible. And it's actually titled Luke, and before the book of Luke was in our Bible, it was a historical document written by Luke to record, record the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. So Luke was one of those guys, he had spent time with Jesus, he saw his miracles, he heard his teaching, he got to experience him firsthand, and then he watched him die, he watched him raise again, and he began to live his life in pursuit of all that Jesus called him to. 
But it wasn't just Luke. There were hundreds and hundreds of people who had this encounter and this experience. And so Luke wanted to set out to go talk to these people, record their stories, figure out what happened. And then this is huge, distribute that while they were all still alive. So the book of Luke is distributed while these people who are written about in these stories are still living. And his point was, go fact check me, go talk to this person. And what's incredible is if any of this was fake or just sort of put together, it could have been disproven in a second. But what began to happen as this was distributed, and as people began to investigate for themselves, the church began to grow like never before. But what you're going to see if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, kind of the first four of your New Testament to the right of your Bible, I would encourage you to do that, especially if you're investigating Jesus, or especially if you have questions about Jesus, or especially for those of you, maybe you're in the room, maybe you're watching and you've actually, you're unsure about Jesus because you had someone claim the name of Jesus and they showed you someone who wasn't loving and they pushed you aside and made you feel as less than. And I just want you to know, if you're interested at all in who Jesus is, go read Luke, go read one of those four books because you will see the real Jesus. And what you'll see is that time and time again, Jesus goes out of his way to love those that everyone else had pushed aside. He goes out of his way to invest in and to be around and to spend time with those that maybe even culturally didn't fit in or didn't belong. He goes and hangs out with people who didn't have value in that culture. He spends time with people who weren't sure they believed in him. And this is the kind of love that we will see in Jesus over and over and over again. And here's why. Because Jesus didn't see humans the way the average human sees humans. Jesus didn't see people with the cultural label that was put on them. Jesus didn't see people through the lens of their mistakes. Jesus didn't see people the way we tend to of deciding whether or not someone has value or worth based on looks or status or or fill in the blank. Jesus saw people completely different. And so what you will see over and over and over again is Jesus doing things like touching people with diseases, which would have never happened then. You see Jesus hanging out with people who at the time culturally had no value like women and children. You will see him spending time with the sick. You will see him talking and going out of his way to hang out with those who were considered scandalous by culture. This is who Jesus was. And if you go through and read, what you will see is Jesus time and time again stopping the crowds, stopping his ministry, stopping what he's on his way to do and spending time with those people. And so I just wanna say, before we go any farther, I don't know if any of you in here feel like that, I don't know if any of you watching online or you clicked a link from a friend and you feel like you have been pushed aside from the church, like you have been outcasted because of your past or your label or your questions or whatever it is. And if that's you and if that's been done by somebody who claimed the name of Jesus, I just wanna say that I'm sorry. And that's not who Jesus is. And I'm so glad you're connected with a place like Centerpoint because this is so much a heart of what we do because it was the heart of Jesus. And what we're going to see in Luke 19 is, again, he takes this moment where he has a mission, he has something to do, he has the crowds of people, and he stops to focus in on an individual who needs him. And so we'll start in Luke 19, verse 1. It says this, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Now, I want to go ahead and stop here because it seems like a small detail. It seems like something we can kind of pass by, but don't miss this. Jesus was just passing through Jericho to somewhere else. And Jesus was passing through Jericho to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be his last stop. Jerusalem is where Jesus would spend the remainder of his days of his ministry on earth. Jerusalem is where he would wrap up his earthly ministry, give his marching orders to his disciples, be caught, tortured, murdered, executed on a cross, and then raised again three days to save the world. 
So some would say he had kind of an important agenda in Jerusalem. And as he's passing on his way to Jerusalem, there's a blip on the map. He hits a city called Jericho. He is passing through. And here's what happens. Luke writes, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region. And he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, and I love that he includes this, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So here's Luke writing about, there was a guy named Zacchaeus in this town. He gives us some context into who Zacchaeus was. And it's only a couple of sentences, but he includes a lot of context here. Because one, we see that he was a tax collector. And tax collectors were the most hated of Jewish society. These would have been the guys that were seen as untouchable, outcasts as you can be, hated as can be, because what they would do is they were hired by the Roman government to collect taxes on their own people. And the way they made their money was to raise those taxes however they saw fit. And so often, especially when they were very rich, like he points out, Zacchaeus was, it meant that he was good at this and that they saw them as stealing from their own people to line their pockets. So he points out, not only is Zacchaeus this guy a thief, not only is he an outcast, but he's good at it because he's the chief and he's very rich. And I can kind of just see, I'm not going to add this into the story, but I kind of feel like Luke just sort of has some of this bitterness. He's trying to write and be kind of polite because he knows the end of the story and Jesus likes the guy. But come on, he's kind of saying like he stole my money and he's very rich, right? Here's the other reason I think that. It's because for no reason, apparently, he just says also he's very short. <laughs> just want you to know he's an outcast. He steals our money. He's very rich. He's not even tall, Okay. It's like he digs at this like personal thing about Zacchaeus. And I, I just feel like it's a little unfair because you might know this, especially if you grew up in church, but maybe even if you didn't, there's even a song about how short this guy is. There's a song that says Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And then it doubles down and a wee little man was he. Like two lines about his deepest insecurity. And I just feel like this poor guy, think about this. You have this encounter with Jesus, um, a big deal in history. Someone actually records your story. It changes your life. But your deepest insecurity is recorded for all generations to sing a song about. So I just have to feel for the guy a little bit. And I can kind of feel like Luke's just, he's trying his best to give the best kind of sentence about Zacchaeus. But he's got to work some of these things in. And then he goes on. And so he ran ahead. And because he was so very short, he climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road. For Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus. And he called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Now, what's about to take place is a life-transforming moment in Zacchaeus' life. What's about to take place changes his purpose, changes his identity, changes everything for him. And we're going to get to more of that story, but I'm actually going to stop there this week. Because all of this has started by Jesus doing a very essential step to loving where we live. And he stopped and he saw Zacchaeus. We pass by this so easily, but think about the fact that Jesus, with things to do, places to be, I'm out to save the world, a full Google calendar this guy had. And yet he stops and he sees someone who was nearby. Someone that everyone else even passed by. Someone that others passed by on purpose. 
Someone the other shoved so much aside that he couldn't even get in with the crowd has to climb a tree. This is where this guy Zacchaeus is. And Jesus stops what he's doing, stops his agenda, stops his busyness to see someone who had been strategically placed next to him. And here's just my question, and I have to answer it as well. It's a tough one. What if someone nears you needs them to see you to see them? What if there is someone near you in the midst of your schedule, in the midst of your responsibilities, in the midst of all the things that you have to get done and the busyness we get caught up in? What if there is someone in your school? What if there is someone in your classroom? What if there is someone on your bus? What if there is someone at your workplace? What if there is someone at the grocery store? What if there is someone who lives next door? And their biggest need is for someone to stop and to see them. Zacchaeus had lost three things. Zacchaeus had lost his sense of belonging. In this moment, he's trying to see this guy, but he knows he doesn't even want to be near the crowd because he's so hated. He has no place and he's not even tall enough, as Luke points out so nicely, that he can't even be around the crowd. So he has to go above them. There is nowhere for Zacchaeus to belong. He is on the outskirts of society. He had completely lost his belonging. He had lost his identity because what others would call him a, a thief and greedy and out for himself and short but not by his name, like Jesus did. Zacchaeus had lost his purpose. He's out lining his pockets by stealing from others. He thinks that's his mission, to get rich and get wealthy. He thinks that is his plan, and he has lost the purpose that Jesus is about to give him. And yet in this one moment, just because Jesus stops and sees him and says his name, he says, Zacchaeus, you belong. Zacchaeus, you belong with me. I'm coming to your house today. I know your name, Zacchaeus. I know your identity. You have an identity. It is not what everyone says it is. It is not the label you've carried from your mistakes. It is not the label you've been carried from by culture. It is your name. It is who you are. And I'm about to show you a greater identity than you've ever known. And he gave him his purpose. And we're gonna see the life of Zacchaeus take a totally different turn when he couldn't have even imagined if he was told. All by stopping and seeing him. And so I just think there are people in our communities who need to be seen. There are people all around us all the time who feel pushed aside like they don't belong, like they have no one left who cares about them, like they have nowhere safe to sit, like they have no more community, and we get to be the ones that show them that they have a place to belong. There are people all around us in our communities that have no more identity. They feel like they have been given a label, maybe even feel like they've been given a label by the church that has pushed them aside. They feel like they're carrying something, maybe the label of their past or their mistakes or what they've done, and that's the label they identify with, and we get to be the ones that show them that that's not their identity. There are people all around us who have lost their purpose. They're unsure where to go of life, and they think they're doing it right and chasing the right things, but they are completely and continually left empty, and we get to be the ones that can show them the purpose that they have. And all around us, strategically placed, we are nearby people who need to be seen like Zacchaeus. And what Jesus says is, how cool is it that I have placed my people, my church, all around them, all nearby, that they can love where they live. Our call is simply to stop and see. I think sometimes we make it so difficult. 
We, we try and think through ways to love where we live and maybe it just has to stop, start here where we just stop and we see the people who are all around us. And then don't miss this part. He calls Zacchaeus by his name. In this moment, he's communicating, Zacchaeus, I see you. Zacchaeus, I know you. Zacchaeus, I care about you. And here's the question that I had to wrestle with. Do we know our neighbor's names? I mean, quite literally, do you know the names of those you're around? And here's what I had to really sit and think through. I felt like I did this because I know the people at church. I know their names. I know the students' names in our student ministry. I know a lot of names and the names of our friends. I know, I know so many names. But then I sat down and thought, do I really know my neighbor's names? And I was shocked at how many I actually didn't know. And I want to go love where I live. I want to love my neighbors. I want to start showing them the unconditional love that Jesus has, but I haven't even stopped enough to see them and know them. And so for us, I think that that's where we have to start in week one. If we're gonna follow this model of Jesus and we want to love where we live and make a difference and help people find a transformational relationship with Jesus, it stops by simply being willing to slow down our schedule, slow down our pace, notice those around us, and then get to know their names. So I actually have a matrix that I wanna show us that we're gonna use every single week and we're gonna attach a little bit of a homework challenge to each one. And uh, I know that sounds like a big deal, but trust me, this first week at least, very, very simple. So here's the matrix. If, if you are here in the middle, there's essentially these neighbors next to you and across the street. So let's say you have about five neighbors. Like obviously you're gonna have to use some creative license if you're like, well, mine's an apartment or my lot's not quite like that. Just pick five, you get the point, okay? And what I want us to do is to actually start, we're gonna, we're gonna see this every single week and we're gonna add to it a little bit, but here's step one, you ready? Write down their names. Take a picture of this, write this somewhere, make your own drawing, it's probably gonna be better. Uh, do whatever you need to do, but then write down the five names of the people that you have been strategically placed around. Because we say we want to love them, we say we love where we live, we say we love our neighbors, but maybe it stops by just this week thinking, I need to start by knowing and learning my neighbors. And so let's do this. Let's actually take this home and learn their names. And if you're like, Bradley, that's so simple. I already know most of their names, whatever. That's great. Come back next week. And we're gonna keep going. But I think it has to start here. Because here's my thought. What if we all just decided... What if everyone at Center Point Church decided it's not just about loving our neighbors from afar, but we're gonna love our actual neighbors. We began to step out this month and actually apply this. What if we began just this month, to, or just this week even, to stop and to see people, to stop and to realize there are people strategically placed around us. Just in that, I think God will begin to do something crazy in this community. Just in us deciding that we we're gonna stop our busy schedules and see the ones that God has placed us around, I think right there, God would start something big. Here's why I say that, and here's where I'm gonna close. So many of us, and I hear this a lot because I'm a pastor and people say this to me, they're praying for this, for God to show them their purpose, for God to reveal what I'm supposed to do or this big call on my life. And listen, that's a great prayer and I'm all for that. But here's what happens sometimes. For many of us, we've been praying, God, show me what to do. Where's my purpose? What's going on? And we're looking for our purpose out there. And maybe... This month, God wants to show you that your purpose is right here. Your purpose is right in front of you. 
he went through great lengths to strategically place you, the people who need you to see them, who need this hope and this love that we have found in Jesus. And he's going, would you just, just love where you live? And it might sound simple and you might go, gosh, I came to church this morning and all Bradley wants me to do is learn the name of my neighbor. But what if that person's your purpose? What if that person's your one? What if that person is someone sitting in the seat of Zacchaeus feeling like they are left out and pushed aside and broken with no identity and no purpose and you are the one that God has placed nearby them? This isn't simple at all. In fact, some of you just might this month decide I've been praying for this purpose and yet now I've discovered it and how God wants to use me right here and that's my prayer. That we would become a community of people who love where we live. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for how you love us. I thank you that we're all a little bit Zacchaeus at some point or another, lost identity, lost purpose, no belonging, and yet you brought us in. You forgave, you removed our shame, you took that on yourself, and you love us in spite of our label, in spite of our past, in spite of what culture says. And God, then I thank you that you want to use us that you don't just stop there, but that you have strategically placed us in our sphere of influence. So God, my prayer this week is simple. Will you just help us stop? Will you help us stop and take notice of those around us? God, I pray that for each of us, our drive home today wouldn't just be another drive home. That turn onto our street would be significantly different because you would help us stop and notice. God, I know there are so many around us who are in desperate need to be seen and you see them. Would you help us see them? And would you help us not just say we love where we live, but just really truly begin to love? So God, I thank you for this reminder. I thank you for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives even this morning. And God, we just wanna continue to celebrate that and think about that as we sing. Turn in my prayer. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.